You're listening to the message portion of our online service for May 3rd, 2020. You can see the entire online service on our website, horizonphilly.com, on our YouTube page, our Facebook page, or Instagram TV. Hey guys, most of you who know me well, or really know me at all, know that I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And I'm not alone, right? Millions and millions of people across this planet love Star Wars. And even if you don't like Star Wars, you love Baby Yoda. What is it about these stories, stories like Star Wars, that resonate with us? I think George Lucas, if you watch documentaries about what he was doing when he created Star Wars, when he wrote it, uh, he talked about wanting to tap into these these archetypal stories that resonate with the human spirit. Every human being on the planet wants a story about good versus evil. They want a story where the underpowered heroes use love to overcome hate. These kind of themes and stories resonate deep with our heart and souls and mind. J.R.R. Tolkien, the writer of the Lord of the Rings saga, he said this, every story is really one story. The story of Eden lost, the story of Eden longed for, and the story, story of Eden regained. And this Bible story, this spiritual story, um, is fed when we listen to these stories where there's these sacrificial heroes who stand in the place of a people and sacrifice themselves to restore some measure of peace. And so whether that's a young farm boy from Tatooine blowing up a Death Star, or whether that's a superhero who risks his life for a city, we long for these stories of a savior, of a people. We have this deep inner desire for stories that resonate with the story that we're living in and that we find ourselves to be small players in. Now, I think Jesus knew this. He had built a story-sized hole into our hearts so that we would long and desire for him. And when he came and started his ministry on earth, he actually used stories in order to provide commentary on who he was and what he was about and how his story was going to fulfill the deepest longings in our hearts and really bring meaning to our stories. We call these short stories parables and he would use everyday elements. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at things like fields and farming and sheep. But today we're looking at another topic that he talked about that had everyday themes that still resonate today. He talked a great deal about money. In fact, he talked so much about money. He talked more about it than he talked about heaven or hell or some of these concepts that we would think would be very important to the Christian faith. He knew, I think, that as uh, that money would remain an important aspect of everyday life even today. So let's dig into one of his stories and see how that story resonates with this bigger longing in our heart for a good story that resolves for the good of the world. Let me tell you a story. Once a long time ago, there was a ruler 
who had to go away into a far kingdom in order to assume control of a new territory. Before he left, he gathered three of his financial advisors and he entrusted some of his resources, some of his kingdom monies to them so that they might use that and keep things going while he was away. So to his first advisor, he left $10 million. They said, use this to further the kingdom and advance my financial resources while I'm gone. To another trusted financial advisor, he left $5 million. And to the last, he left $1 million. Now, the man that he left $10 million to went and he began to use the money so and further its use so that um, by the time that the ruler returned, he actually had gained another $10 million for a total of $20 million. The second man, he went and put his money to use in the same ways to further the kingdom and advance the resources of the king. The last man, though, he looked at the million dollars that he had. He had never seen so much money, and he went into his backyard, and after many hours of digging, he had dug a large hole, and he buried the money. Now, after months and months and months, the ruler returned, and he sat successfully upon his throne, now also controlling this new territory, and he began to call his servants and his advisor then and asked them, what did you do while I was gone? How did you use the resources I gave you? Give me an update and status of where we're at. And so the man that he gave 10 million to came in and said, hey, here's how I used the money. Here's how I furthered your objectives while you were gone. And look, I've earned another 10 million. I have 20 million. And the king was thrilled. He said, thank you. You are a good and wise uh, Stuart, your wise advisor, and I'm going to reward you for your faithful service. The second man came in who had been given $5 million. He says, look, I put your money to use. I furthered your kingdom objectives, and now I've got another $5 million. And the king was thrilled and promised to reward him. Now, the last man came in, and uh, he was a little muddied and disheveled because he had just dug up the, the million dollars from his backyard, and he threw this muddy bag down in front of the king, and he said, here's your million bucks back. And uh, the king says, well, what have you done in my absence? And the man said, well, I've done nothing. And he said, but I trusted you with a million dollars to put to work in my kingdom and to further that money if you could. And um, the man says, well, I was afraid of you. And because I was afraid of you, I just dug a hole in my backyard and I buried the money because I was afraid to lose it or misuse it. And the king was furious at this. And he says, if you were really afraid of me, you would have acted instead of, instead of lazily refusing to do anything in the months and months that I've been gone. He says, you're a terrible servant. You're a terrible advisor. He says, it would have taken less effort to go to a bank and deposit the money and at least earn interest than it did for you to dig a hole in your backyard and bury this so that I have no return on this money. It did no good while I was gone in the kingdom and I have no investment um, on it now that I've returned. And he says, I'm going to fire you as a financial advisor because you're terrible. You didn't do any of the things that I wanted. The man was fired and went out. Now, as he began to examine the servants, one case came to him where a man had embezzled $1 billion from him. So while he was gone, this man had taken advantage of looser financial restraints and he had actually embezzled a billion dollars from the king. 
And so the man came in on his hands and knees, pleading and begging. And the king says, you've stolen from me. You've stolen from the kingdom. You must be punished. Everything you have will be sold and you yourself will go to prison unless you can repay this. Now, the man had spent the majority of the money on luxurious living and he couldn't pay it back. And so he pleaded with the king and he said, please, if it takes the rest of my life, please forgive me. I, if it takes the rest of my life, I will pay this back to you. But do not send me to prison. Do not take my things. Do not force my family into poverty. And the king, moved by the man's words, forgave the entire debt. And he says, you are forgiven. You will remain as my servant. Um, the debt is forgiven. And the man turned and went out. And as he was leaving the king's quarters... And he turned a corner in the palace. He came across a fellow servant of his who owed him $20. Now, he grabbed this servant by the neck and threw him against the wall and says, You'll pay me what you owe me right now. And the man's neck began to turn red and he was choking and coughing. And he's like, Please, take your hands off my throat. And so finally, the servant released his co-worker and the co-worker said, I'll get you the $20 as soon as I can. Uh, this week, I'll have it this week. And the servant who had just been forgiven a billion dollar debt said, no, you'll give it to me now or I will imprison you as a thief. And he goes, I don't, I don't have the money right now. And so the servant called for the authorities and the man was arrested and imprisoned for stealing $20. Now, some of the other servants were watching and saw this scene take place and they were deeply troubled by this. And so they went and told the king and they said, hey, the guy you just forgave a billion dollars worth of debt just went out and strangled a man over $20 and then had him imprisoned. Now the king was furious at this and recalled the servant and he said, did I not show you great mercy? Mercy that was beyond all comprehension or understanding, a mercy that you did not deserve, but I simply did out of my goodness? And the servant said, yes. And he said, then why could you not show the smallest of mercies to the person who labors beside you? And the man had nothing to say. And so the king took him, fired him from his position, and turned him over to the authorities for embezzling a billion dollars. Now, the co-worker who had been in prison was released. And as he was let go, he found a job working as a day laborer in a field, digging a foundation for a barn. It was good to be working in a simple job with his hands. And as he was digging out the foundation, he, his shovel hit against something hard. And he began to scoop away the dirt. And he noticed it was the edge of an old chest. And just kind of cracking the top of the wooden chest, he could see that there was treasure inside. So he covered it back over. And he went to the landowner and he says, I want to buy your property. And the landowner set a price and it was much more than this man had. But he went and he sold his home. He sold his cart. He sold all his livestock. He sold all his clothing. He sold every good and possession that he had. And it was just enough money, just barely enough money to pay the price of the landowner. And so he paid that and then he went and he dug up the rest of the treasure and he opened it and it was filled with jewels and precious coins and it was worth a hundred times what he had paid for the land.
So now I want to dig into a little bit deeper into one of these parables that Jesus told. In our story, I kind of simulated several of the parables that Jesus told around the central theme of money. But now I want to dig into one passage where he told two parables about money a little bit deeper. This is in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus is tapping into these these deep financial desires that we have across time and culture from the first century even until now. You have debt and rent. You have credit card bills. And all of us at some point have talked about like, oh, if I win the lottery, if I make it big, like if if somehow I stumble into a large sum of money, it's going to change everything. People working day-to-day jobs, getting basic wages, living for the meal that day, and then hoping to have work tomorrow to do it all over again resonated with the story of, oh, maybe I'll dig in a field and I'll come across someone's buried treasure and it'll change everything. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with buried treasure. I was always thinking that there were secret tombs and hidden treasure all over the place. I remember uh, sitting on a school bus and I saw a field where there was like this strange piece of metal sticking up and Uh, Every day as I went by, I imagined like that metal was actually a sword. And if you pulled that out, it would open this ancient tomb. And inside the ancient tomb would be treasure. Um, I loved going treasure hunting. And I would dig holes in my family's yard, much to my dad's chagrin when he was driving the lawnmower around. Like, I wanted to find treasure. And people in the first century, just like people today longing to win the lottery, were looking for some kind of escape from the financial constraints and pressures of their day. And so Jesus taps into all that with this story where he says, hey, there was this guy and he was digging and he found a treasure. The land wasn't his, so he bought the land so he could claim the treasure. And the treasure was worth more than whatever he paid for it. He said there was a guy trading in pearls, but he found a pearl that was worth more than all his other pearls. He's willing to give them all up. And so what is Jesus talking about here? What is, what is he trying to commentate on by telling this parable? What is he trying to get people to understand? Jesus tells us in this passage that th- he's talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, often called the kingdom of heaven in Matthew and the kingdom of God or just the kingdom in the other gospels. The kingdom is what our lives look like when Jesus rolls as king in our hearts and minds and souls. Someday Jesus is going to rule as king on this planet and he's going to set everything right. There's going to be no more COVID viruses. There's going to be no more child sickness or poverty or war. He's going to make everything right. But he's starting with making the right people to live in his right kingdom. And he does that by us submitting to his kingship. For, him, for us saying, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life. I want you to tell me how to live in love. Because when I'm king, I don't make a very good ruler. 
I don't know about you, but if I give in to just my basic desires, I tend to be a selfish, manipulative person. I don't make a good king of my own life. I tend to either obsess over entertainment and escape and I get nothing done, or I'm controlling and obsessive and I'm not a very fun person to be around. But Jesus, when he's my king, he commands me to live in love like he did, which serves other people and shares what I have and actually makes me into the best version of myself. By becoming more like Jesus, I actually become the best Alex I can be. So what Jesus is saying is this kingdom, this living as Jesus as our king, is actually better and worth giving up everything else that we have. He says, just like a man who sold everything to buy a treasure in a field, he says, that's the kingdom. A man who sold all the other pearls he had to get this one pearl, he said, that's the kingdom. Jesus as king in your life and in my life is worth sacrificing everything for. To have Jesus as king, to have a relationship with God himself, to be able to live and love like Jesus, to be able to look like Jesus is the best, most abundant human life that anyone can live. And Jesus says it's worth sacrificing everything for. Now, some people, they, they hesitate to become a disciple, a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved because they're like, man, what if I have to give up this? What if I have to give up this unhealthy relationship or what if I have to give up this lifestyle or what if I have to give up this behavior that I really enjoy even though ultimately I know it's probably not best for me. Jesus says the king, having him as king is worth any sacrifice, it's worth any cost because what he's offering is better than what he's requiring. What he's offering to you is worth way more than what it's going to cost you. He says it might cost you all the pearls that you have, but he says what the pearl you're getting is better. He says it might cost you all the possessions you have, but the possession you're getting is better. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he never takes anything without having more of better things to give us. See, Jesus says, hey, I will set you free. I will provide for you. I'm going to make you like myself. And he says, that is more than worth anything that it will cost you. And so I think the natural question I have to ask myself is, do I treasure Jesus as king? Do I truly treasure Jesus? I serve Jesus. I, I love Jesus. I'm thankful for Jesus. But do I treasure him? This is something that I've been dwelling on and thinking about this week. Is like, what does it really mean to treasure Jesus? How can I know if I truly treasure him? Jesus said, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Your emotions follow your treasure. And so when I find that my emotions are out of whack or out of control, or I'm feeling low-grade anxiety or despair, I've probably put... I uh, begin to treasure the wrong thing, the wrong person, and I need to realign my treasure. And what I found over and over again during this time of quarantine and isolation is I've been treasuring some of the wrong things in order to try to escape the unpleasant realities 
of our world right now. And I need to put my treasure in Jesus if I'm going to have the emotional stability to walk through this, to comfort Darby through this, to lead the church through this, and to serve and love others around me through this. If I'm going to be better on the other side of this, then I need to make sure that I don't just like Jesus, I don't just love Jesus, I truly treasure Jesus. So how do you treasure Jesus when you found that maybe you've been treasuring other things or you, you're not quite at that level where you're like, I truly treasure him. One of the things that I've been practicing is going back to look at the life and legacy and behavior of Jesus. Looking at the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life and death and resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These accounts of people who saw him firsthand and wrote about what he said and how he treated people and what he did. I tend to fall in love with Jesus. I tend to treasure him when I look at what he's actually like, when I actually get to know him and see him. I think another thing is to thank Jesus for what he's doing. I, I treasure him when I realize how much he's done for me, not just in the past, not just going to the cross to restore the relationship between God and man to enable me to live in love like he did by sending his spirit. But every day he's doing things that I can be thankful for. Now during this time of quarantine, there's a lot of things that I wish were different. But there's a lot of things that he's still doing and blessing me with and being kind to me and generous in so many ways. And finally, I, I've been looking at some of the stories of people who truly treasure Jesus, people who laid down their life for Jesus, people who said, I treasure Jesus more than I treasure living. I, I think that's the ultimate uh, testimony that you treasure Jesus is that you're willing to die for him. And so I've been reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can find copies free online. You can go to websites like Voice of the Martyr, Martyrs that talks about modern martyrs today. Uh, it might surprise you, but more people have died in modern times for Jesus Christ than across all the ancient times combined. So martyrdom, dying for Jesus, is not just something that happened in the distant past. It's happening every day in our world today. And reading the stories of these men and women and sometimes children who say, I'm going to stand with Jesus. I'm going to side with Jesus, even if it costs me my life. Something resonates in me. Something stirs in me. And I begin to say, I want to treasure Jesus as these people did. I think treasuring Jesus will change how we feel. And it will change how we think. It will change how we live. And it will change what we decide is worth sacrificing for. What we decide is worth fighting for. I think it will change the every priority in our life. And I think that when we see how valuable Jesus actually is, we won't say, oh, look at what I have to sacrifice for him. Look what I have to give up for him. Instead, what we'll say is, what I'm getting is so much better than anything I could ever give up or sacrifice for. Another thing.